Good afternoon, KZMU listeners. This is Lisa Hathaway, your host of Great Wide Open. Our topic of conversation for today on Great Wide Open is about e-bikes. I had conversations with two longtime local cycling aficionados about e-bikes and their place, or not, in our local landscape. For those who have never been on an e-bike, there are actually three classes of e-bikes, so there is a lot of nuance in this discussion about which e-bike does what and where it can go. An e-bike can vary from a pedal assist type of e-bike to essentially a moped with pedals. The class one e-bike, which is a pedal assist e-bike that is basically a mountain bike by all other appearances, is the one that seems to be the most controversial and concerning as far as management and policy on our public lands, most specifically our current system of single track trails. So let's get to it and sit back and enjoy my conversation with Ashley Kornblatt, followed by a listener comment and part two, Colin Topper. E-bikes are a growing part of recreation sectors, and they are also a growing part of transportation, not just in Moab, but in the world at large. And I'm sitting here today with Ashley Kornblatt, who is the longtime owner of Western Spirit Cycles and has lived in Moab for a long time now. I'll (laughs) let her tell you all about that. And she's also the managing director of Public Lands Solutions and all of these roles that Ashley plays, the many hats she wears, have um, contributing factors to this conversation about e-bikes and what their place is here in the world at large. Thanks for having me. So glad to have (laughs) you here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, So I, my husband Mark and I have owned Western Spirit since 1997 and Western Spirit does multi-day bike trips around the country. Our headquarters is here in Moab but we, um, we work all over the place. And in that work, since all, over all of that time, I learned about a lot of public land communities, different gateway communities of all types. And about 10 years ago, Jason Keith and I decided to start a nonprofit called Public Land Solutions. Jason has been the attorney for the Access Fund, so climbing and mountaineering. And I had done all that work with IMBA, the International Mountain Bicycling Association. Between the two of us, we knew a lot about gateway communities and things that were happening there. And we are working with a bunch of different places around the West who are looking to pivot from oil and gas and coal to recreation. That's been some really fun work. And in all of that work, we see that changing evolution of recreation assets and uses. And one of those changing assets and uses is our topic today. There has been a move in recent years to electric vehicles and electric, all kinds of forms of transportation. We have seen the rise of e-bikes come into the foray and it's been slightly controversial. Have you had to address any of the controversies with e-bikes? Sure. I think there's both a list of pros and cons. But before we get into that, there's also sort of this philosophical piece of this that has to do with just the simplicity and beauty of a bicycle and how it makes a human so much more efficient and 
you're still using your own muscles, you're traveling under your own power um, on a regular bicycle, but it makes you so much more efficient. You can go further and do more. And, and that story has a lot of integrity and magic and religion associated with it. And so when you introduce an e-bike, um, it breaks up that story. And there's, for certain people, it really, they find it to be really offensive because it doesn't honor the basic concept of what a bike is supposed to be. So there's that. And so there's the philosophy and the just like, and I think people feel the same way maybe about other things. And so when you start with a conversation of people thinking this is just a bad thing, any topic like that where some people just feel that this is bad or feel that this is good, it's really hard sometimes to look at it based on its merits and everyone gets kind of all emotional before you've even talked about the pluses and minuses. So it might be good to talk through what some of those pluses and minuses might be. And we should also point out for people who are not familiar with e-bikes, they come in three classifications. One of those classifications is a pedal assist. You still have to be pedaling your bike just like what you were describing, that philosophy of a bike being a really simple machine that can take a human further and faster than just on their own two feet. And possibly if a person is not able to ambulate, they might be able to pedal. So it might be their only form of getting from point A to point B, if not in a vehicle. And then we go all the way up to one step below a moped from what I've experienced. Sure, I mean, the difference is on a pedal assist class one bike, it's usually um, limited to 20 miles an hour. It doesn't move if you're not pedaling. When, when you're on a class one e-bike and you take a pedal stroke, it's like your very best day of riding. You pedal and you go a little further than you would have on a regular bike. It takes the edge off, basically. Thinking about the pluses and minuses, the pluses of an e-bike are that when you're going up a hill, either as a commuter or as for recreation, it, it just isn't as hard. You still have to pedal, and you still have to have the skills to, to, especially if it's on single track, you have to have bike handling skills, but it just isn't quite as hard. So for, for lots of people, it can be a real equalizer in that if you have a mixed group of riders and some people are a lot stronger than others, having the less, the less strong, they might be just as experienced, but less fast or strong riders on e-bikes can keep the group together. So from a family perspective, like I definitely know of older people that are, that are riding e-bikes to keep up with their kids. And so that's one of the pluses. And, and from a transportation standpoint, that plus is kind of a big one because if, if you're just trying to get from A to B in an efficient way and not necessarily trying to get a workout per se, but it's great to be outside riding by getting to work, you're not quite so sweaty, it's not quite such a big exercising commitment. It's more like, I got here mostly on my own steam, but also with a little help, and, and the amount of energy that you used to transport yourself from A to B is the least amount of electric, you know, it's way better than a car or a moped or anything besides just a regular bicycle. So from a transportation side, it's hard to go with the, to think about what the negatives are. I mean, there's some concern on bike paths that they're going a little faster than, I mean, there's certainly some riders that are riding that fast on the bike paths without e-bikes. 
without any kind of assistance. But there is a little bit of concern for that. But most of the story on the transportation side is pretty positive. If everyone suddenly had an e-bike, they wouldn't drive as much, that's for sure, because it's more fun than driving. For the record, I got myself to this meeting on my class one e-bike, which is parked outside, and it's all the things Ashley said. I was able to get here quickly and not sweat my <laughs> brains out. So from transportation side, it's hard to talk about the negatives. On the recreation side, um, there is concern about the trails, right? And how would e-biking impact be different than regular bike impact? I haven't seen any studies that are showing it's worse, better, or different, because you're still pedaling, and so the force transmitted to the tires, it's not that much different than a really strong rider. Um, so the impact that we're seeing on the trails so far, you know, and this is from class one, now anything with the throttle will be different because it's just by definition, more power. So that will change that formula. It will be much more power applied to the, the meeting of the tire and the dirt. But for class one, we aren't seeing too bad of a trail. Really, I don't have any, any data about that yet. Um, well, and I think what, one of the reasons we don't have a lot of data on it is because currently, I don't, I don't know of any trails, at least in our region, that will specifically permit a class one mountain bike, but not other motorists. So right yeah. now it's kind of black and white. It's either only a bicycle or foot, of course, mm -hmm. etc. Or it's a motorized trail. So we don't really have that a kind good of information. place to test it. Yeah, there are definitely places in um, Idaho and other places that are open to motorcycles but don't get used that often by motorcycles that have some e-bike traffic. Right now, a lot of the objections are sort of emotional and not so much data-driven terms, in terms of trail effect. Now, user conflict, like is there user conflict, is a little bit of a different problem. Again, the difference between you riding an e-bike, a person riding an e-bike, and a really strong rider, that differential is not so great that like there, there are wrecks on bike paths and on single track trails where there's bad, there are bad sight lines and you have really fast riders interacting with maybe slower riders. That already happens and we're not seeing some big uptick in that, but it's a little worry, worrisome. I think one of the worries also has to do with if you don't have bike handling skills and you rent an e-bike or you, you know, get an e-bike for the first time and you really aren't an experienced cyclist, there could be some pretty bad wrecks. And so that's gonna be something as the industry grows that we have to worry about more. So just trying to kind of stay with the pros and cons, like, I mean, the pros are still keeping people together and getting more people riding. So we are seeing um, that that e-bikes are attractive to people who were a little bit afraid of bikes. So it's it's expanding the, the, the universe of people out there riding. Um, there's also that older people are riding more than they than they would have at all. And I think we're going to get some data about that. People for Bikes is collecting a lot of data and doing a lot of work on this. So we're starting to have a lot more information, more facts that we can use to, to make decent e-bike policy. But I agree, right now, the easiest way 
is, you know, is it motorized or not? And so if it's a motorized trail, then e-bikes are, are allowed. And if it isn't, they aren't. But that's the other thing is it is a complete patchwork of rules. The rules are different from county to city to state to this trail or that trail. So you really do have to pay attention. It, it, it's very difficult to um, know. It's, it, they aren't all the same anywhere, really. Yeah, it's it's really tricky to know, especially if you are, you know, setting out on an adventure that you want to have yourself or someone in your group included via an e-bike. Then obviously, when you come to Moab, it starts to become a lot more restrictive to the trails that you can all ride together. And especially where I'm seeing that is, like you said, with families where there might be a family member who's older or um, has some physical limitations, but still wants to recreate yeah. with their family. And the other interesting thing we have with our bike path is that currently it is still non-motorized. So currently you are prohibited from riding an e-bike of any type on the bike path that connects up to the brand trails, mm -hmm. which obviously doesn't mean people aren't doing it. Right. And there are some very good points that a road bike rider coming down that trail is gonna be way faster. Speed tends to be the biggest concern that right. I hear with people mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. wanting e-bikes um, on the trails or whatever. But yeah, people who are either skilled riders on a mountain bike or a road bike can go a lot faster. I have been past, I will admit, I have ridden my e-bike <laughs> on on that bike trail to get up to, you know, like leave my car somewhere yeah. and go back and retrieve my car. And I, I think we really need to, There's there are fears and concerns about bad interactions or bad outcomes, but we until we actually have a bad outcome, or you know have some data about those outcomes it's a little hard to make the rules because making rules about something that's a possibility the problem here, the whole problem with this conversation has to do with the gradient that we're talking about the improvement that you get from an e-bike is is so small for most people it doesn't even make them as fast as the fastest cyclist right you're still slower than a, a than a very fit roadie right or whatever, like a fit cyclist who's who's a racer who's who's riding really quickly and good at it. The the e-bike's not going to get you to that beyond that person. So it's a question of the differential. So the amount of improvement that you get from the e-bike is so small that it doesn't put you outside the window of the fastest existing riders already on a bike path or a trail. So that's why these some of these fears just may not pan out because. If, if the e-bike made you 25% faster than the fastest rider out there, then you would really be talking about a change in use and impact. We need more data. We need a lot more data so that we can do this properly. Now, I don't, I'm not advocating that I'm waiting for a bunch of people to wreck and then we can right. determine, but... Um, we can but suppose it, that. Well, we need to just, we need to, we don't need to solve problems that don't exist, right? I mean, every technology has its plus and minuses, right? Like some days we all wish our phones were lost and we didn't have to carry them. But having the phones also makes our lives more convenient in a million ways. So we just have to see how this technology is really going to play out and how we can make the best of it. So getting more people out there, allowing more people to ride together, um, 
and, and eliminate the real things that are bad, not the imagined or supposed things. I think that we're kind of thinking, you and I are kind of thinking primarily about the class one because that's what pops into our mind of like what we're seeing a lot of with actually being out on the trails. Mm -hmm. But then things get a little murkier with like class two and class three. So do we just automatically start with class two and class three don't have a place on the trails? Or do class two and class three have a place on the trails? I don't think they do. I'm not sure where anybody is in the industry or any of this people talk about it uh, or where people are, but I, I think that that differential I was describing is really important here. So if you, if you make it so that this machine allows you to go 40% faster than the fastest person who was already doing this, then, then you are going to see a lot more impacts. And so um, I think the fact that you know, even a fast person on an e-bike, they're still, like, because of the 20 mile per hour governor, I, I had some friends in Crested Butte that passed a bunch of people on e-bikes because they were going slightly downhill and they could go faster, you know? So if you've got this sort of envelope that you're keeping the speed in and the, the, with both e-bikes and regular bikes, you, you don't have to change the policies as much, right? Now, but if you are go outside that envelope, then it really is a different use and you would have to change the policies more. But I'm not advocating to say that non-motorized trails should be open to e-bikes. I'm just looking at the reality of what the, what the machine does that's different from the existing mm -hmm. machine and keeping, keeping that in mind. So that's why I would say that class two and class three would really change that equilibrium and then you have a much bigger challenge. So I think that keeping class one and managing those a lot like regular bikes is mostly fine from what I can tell and from the data that we have so far, even though I do think we need more. But is that the Pandora's box? We can't really see where that technology, just like you know, with the phones and the emails and things like that, we don't know where it's gonna be down the road. We know there are hacks that you can do to access 10 more miles per hour mm -hmm. on your e-bike. I haven't done that to mine. I don't really want to go faster than yeah. 20 miles per hour on a 50 pound bike. Yeah. So I'm not really sure about that, but we don't know what it's going to be like 10 years from now. So if we let the class ones even onto our trails now, what happens next? Right. Um, well, that is with all technology, you have that problem. You know, I still kind of think we want to make policy based on real impacts. But I'm not advocating, what I, I think we need to do right now in the evolution of this conversation is we need to mark some e-bike loops, some legal e-bike loops. And we have a ton of roads in this county that are plenty technical and plenty fun and open to motorized. And so if we, um, if we did the work, and I've had a short conversation with the BLM about this and we, we could it really is a project that I think would be helpful is to show people who do have an e-biker in their group a route like Little Canyon Rim. I mean before we built all this single track we used to ride all kinds of fun loops that are double track and guess what they're still out there and so if we were to mark those and promote those as e-bike routes one it would take the pressure off our single track trail system that is non-motorized and that, I think, would be a really smart interim step. 
Um, so instead of spending all this time saying putting no e-bikes, no e-bikes, no e-bikes everywhere and, and trying to enforce that, instead taking the positive step of saying Moab has, because we have plenty of fun rides that are totally e-bike legal because they're motorized. Right. And if we, as citizens even, or through trail mix, like d sp spent some um, time thinking through what are the best e-bike loops that are totally legal right now and promoting those, that would be great because then we're pointing the e-bike people in the right direction instead of having to police our non-motorized trails. Yeah, so. it's definitely, it's a, again, a complicated, <laughs> nuanced conversation. Yeah. And what, what it will often come down to is the individual user. Well, I, I think it's more that if you don't give people alternatives, they're gonna, there's a lot bigger chance they're gonna do the wrong thing. Right. Whereas I think if we gave them some totally legal options, that, that would really help. And I think there are also people who start off on a ride and don't pay attention to where they're going. Maybe they start at Dead Horse and end up on the Navajo Rocks trails, right? I know I've taken guests on e-bike rides that were super fun and I didn't, we didn't poach anything. Mm -hmm. it, it's totally available out there to do, um, to do some fun riding and appropriate for most visitors, just taking that positive step and promoting these as e-bike routes, I think we need to do that. I think it would be smart and it would take the pressure off our non-motorized trails. And that may not be the long time perfect be all to end all solution, but I think it would work really well right now because a lot of the people who are purchasing e-bikes are, um, are new to the sport. And so they don't even know all the rules and giving them this education piece and giving them places to go where they're basically going to have a fine time. They're not, they're not going to go home going, Moab sucks because I wasn't allowed to ride Navajo Rocks. They could have an amazing, amazing experience and great views and fun riding on some of the 3,000 miles of double track that we have in the county. And it is true. Sometimes all it takes is just designating something as a recommended Right. Well, however, I do think that at the end of the day, there is still going to be the um, desire. People love to ride single track, and especially if we're talking about mixed groups of people where, you know, again, yeah. someone who's slow or someone who's injured, and they're like, yeah. oh, if I was just like able to take a specialized bike, Levo, I'd be able to keep up with this group. And we would have so much fun because we could yeah. ride together. And I don't need to be faster than these people. Right. I just want to be with these people. Well, right. Well, that's the argument for, like, let's just manage them like regular bikes. Because that's the differential I'm talking about, that all you're doing is keeping the group together, not ratcheting up the pace. Maybe we should make a rule that if you're certain, if you have a certain number of Strava KOMs, King of the Mountains, you're not allowed to ride any bike now. Did you hear that? <laughs> because you're seven too off. strong. Seven no. Ashley's husband, you're you are not strong. allowed no. to, to ride your e-bike ever again. No. Um, no, I just think that there are different experiences in different places. Just like there's different types of paddling and different types of climbing and different types of hiking. Each outdoor experience is different. And I think we have the resources here to provide amazing e-bike routes by designating some double track. What do we have to lose from that? And, and I also think that what we're seeing on the trips is the people who are wanting e-bikes and showing up with e-bikes are less experienced. So they don't really need Moab single track. They're not looking for that. I, I, I think there's real opportunity in, in marking our motorized routes and promoting them. I think we can maintain the integrity of our non-motorized trails and one way would be to 
um, put together some fun loops. We all know what's out there, but the visitors don't. But you can't say, come to our county and ride around in circles. You have to say, come to our county and do the devil's belly button trail or right. whatever. <laughs> I think there's real opportunity to direct the use to places where it would be appropriate by being proactive about that and, and finding some loops and marking them for e-bikes. And possibly having some more trails that are like the Intrepid system that are open to both both the mountain bikes and the um, class one e-bikes. Sure, I think that could be possible. And sure, enforcement's always going to be a problem, but if you give people options, people who are not generally criminals are going to, are going to try to do the right thing. Um, and I think we have the resources here to meet this need this growing demand from a new market source in a way that that would work. I, I think we just need to be as practical and realistic and sort of data-driven as possible. We could sit around all day and think about disaster stories of how this bad could happen and that bad could happen, but uh, if it's not really happening, <laughs> then there's no reason to make a lot of rules about it. So. Right. Well, that's why I wonder if there might be a place for pilot programs for like select times or select seasons when it's not peak usage. Yeah. I'm not saying I have anything against children, but I have heard people complain about young kids on sure. the trails as much like, that they would prefer an adult on an e-bike negotiating mm-hmm. around them versus a child who maybe is not appropriate for that trail yet. Sure. So it's a very nuanced well, I mean, that, complicated issue. It's interesting because... Um, the whole business of managing recreation, we're, we're really um, pivoting from a time when we have, the easiest way to describe it is, we, up to date we've managed things by polygons, like here's the national park, and here's the state park, and here's the BLM land, and here are the rules here, here are the rules there, and go out there, knock yourself out, have a great time, don't break any rules. Now that's management by polygon. If we want to manage experiences, we have to start really thinking through all these different groups and say, okay, we're going to design a mountain bike trail system for children that has, or we're going to take a route, we're going to optimize the route in our stack loop system and say, this is the kids route and we're going to promote it and market with, I don't know, maybe we need a little Moab character with little arrows that's saying if you you know so that because most people don't want to have a bad experience and when they are having one it's because they didn't have the right information the whole system is just not meeting their expectations they went out there with an expectation to have a certain type of experience and if the dots didn't get connected that's how you end up with a child on a barroom trail they shouldn't be on and now they're kind of clogging up the flow for the other people. One way to get better at managing user conflict and diverse uses and goals is to start really thinking about management, managing experiences. And that's gonna happen, I think that's gonna be needed to solve the arches problem as well, So, um, which is a whole other thing. I think we, we, we have the raw material and as our biggest challenge is, I mean, the BLM has so much work to do already, how are they gonna do all this? And Trail Mix definitely fills the gap and does a lot of great work, but they too are maxed, right? So 
Well, and they're not a law enforcement, so to speak. They're not there to make and enforce rules. They're there to no. build trails. Right, but they could designate these loops if they, you know, like if, if we decided this is a function we want them to have and we help fund and staff them to be able to do it, then you could start to designate kids' loops. You could designate these other loops. And it's, it's just like when the Travel Council started, you know, promoting stay on the trail. Like if we can give them the information um, and they can help us get the word out, ultimately you want to meet the visitors expectations and that's you want people to have a good time and be safe and to do that you have to really communicate really well what's going to happen out there and there's some people that want to explore and go in the backcountry and don't need all this information great the the most people are going to stay in the front country and do what we tell them what we recommend they're they're looking for our recommendation and so a lot of these problems can be solved by really let's getting to the point where we have more sophisticated experience management and we're able to execute it on the ground, which just means marking a kid's trail at the bar M and saying, you know, four-year-olds, we recommend this, you know, six to eight-year-olds, we recommend this, and just more divvying it up. And, and the same thing if we mark some e-bike loops. At Western Spirit, are you um, doing trips that are specific for e-bike riders, or is it still kind of, if you're in the right state with the right set of circumstances, someone is welcome to ride their e-bike? Right now, we have we have trips where e-bikes are legal, either because the trails are motorized or whatever the reason is, where we're able to allow guests to bring or rent an e-bike. That's going pretty well. We haven't designed any trips specifically for e-bikes. For me, the differential between the person on the e-bike and the fastest rider is not so great that you would change the whole itinerary. It's not even close. Like That doesn't seem like that's something that's going to happen. It's all moving target, but I think you just have to go back to looking at the experience that you're trying to provide and getting that information to the visitor so that they can choose their experience wisely and and have fun <laughs> the approach that you see as the most viable would be we start to filter that use into its own set of trails but maybe not put them on the single track trails in moab straight out of the gates right i'm not advocating for that right now at all i think we have a lot of cool places to go in this county that are you know mind-boggling and amazing and would be a national park in any other place um, any patch of our county could be is so incredible so I think that we should just mark some routes like that whole eye of the whale ride that's really sandy like that'd be a fun thing to do on an e-bike I mean assuming that you can get to the arch without going in the park but um, I think you do go in the park but anyway I know okay well then you have to stop and hike the sandy rides that aren't fun on a regular bike could be fine on an e-bike and, and they're still an incredible place to go yeah i like, rode up to hey joe canyon the other day on oh, my wow. class one e-bike yeah and it was beautiful yeah and, you know, it was evening ride along the green yeah. river so i think we just have to keep working on it talking civilly about it not getting all emotional and trying to keep uh, track of the facts and the data and how how things are really what's really happening not everyone's fears but there should, should always be trails that are non-motorized, along with all these other parameters. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ashley, for talking to us about this pretty complicated topic. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that there is a place for them, and I think that we can expand 
the access so that families especially or people with injuries can ride in groups together and and look at creative ways that are not necessarily forcing it onto our single track right. or just relegating it to find your own dirt road. Right. That's right. I agree with that. All right. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being interested. You have a great day. Okay. You too. I'm a class one owner. I'm old, but I still relive my youthful riding days and the class one does the trick. As a veteran with some underlying health conditions, I love the exercise and keeping pace with my super experienced and more physically fit pals. In light of new information about these e-bikes, regulations are the thing, things that need to adjust and get updated. I ride no differently than anyone with a human, a fully human powered bike, but I don't exhaust myself as much. I cannot see any damage my motorized bike does since one goes nowhere without pedaling. There is no spinning of wheels or digging up the trails. I can say authoritatively that no assist motorbike makes up for the riding and bike handling skills one must have to ride in Moab or anywhere else. Just saying, this class of e-bike should not be restricted at all. There is no legitimate reason other than regulators struggling to achieve consistent regulation. Uh, the CITLA agreements for the brand's trails that were signed on two years ago and perhaps prejudice against the e-bike for reasons of purity of the sport. We are continuing today's conversation about e-bikes and how they fit on the landscape both immediately in Moab and out there in our federal lands with Colin Topper who is the biking representative on Moab Trail Mix. Hi, Colin, and welcome to Great Wide Open. And uh, if you're listening to free notes in the background, that's because we are sitting here in Rotary Park and people are playing free notes. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me. It's yep. a pleasure to have yeah. you here. Um, as you and I have discussed uh, previously in conversations, the topic of e-bikes and how they fit in in outdoor recreation in Moab and beyond is a pretty nuanced and widespread conversation and it's one we're not necessarily trying to come up with any answers to but it's a conversation that we should address in the outdoor recreation community in Moab. Agreed. Yep. And in your role um, on as a bike representative of Trail Mix you do receive correspondence about e-bikes and what role they might play in our landscape, and maybe you could talk a little bit about what you're seeing and hearing out there. Sure. Uh, so, at Moab Tromix is is the representative board. Uh, we're an advisory board to the the county, and we are the uh, the non motorized representative board, um, complemented by the uh, motorized trails committee, which is the motorized portion. Um, and so e-bikes are—it's uh, probably <coughs> obvious that they are the very much the fastest-growing sector of the, the mountain biking industry. Um, and so we do recognize that this is a, a a wave that is is growing and and coming towards us. And and uh, you know it's it's my hope to uh, 
to initiate uh, more and more conversations so that we are, are prepared and we are uh, addressing this wave and, and figuring out ways to uh, either incorporate e-bikes into the existing infrastructure or add infrastructure for e-bikes specifically or uh, but just figure out ways to to and if e-bikes are compatible with our, our non-motorized infrastructure so that's why I'm here today and that is a really uh, tricky topic and so again, <laughs> one that, that um, we, we might not today no. or ever, um, and by we, I don't mean just you and I, but the outdoor recreation community writ large, what is an e-bike? Is it a motorized form of transportation or is it a non-motorized mm -hmm. form of transportation? And at the beginning of the show, we went through the classifications of e-bikes, but we'll just do a little refresher here if you're just tuning in. A class one e-bike is a pedal assist e-bike, almost just like a mountain bike, and they will get an assist or a boost as they are pedaling. Up to 20 miles an hour. Up to 20 miles per hour, allegedly without hacks. Okay, <laughs> right, right, right. And then a class three yeah. is, is a similar thing, but can go up to 28 or 30 miles per hour. Correct. And confusingly, in the middle of that, is, which I always get wrong, is class two, which is, um, you can almost think of a class two as a pedally moped, yes. because it has a throttle and can be used without a pedal assist. Correct. And I think what is causing the most confusion or vexation in the outdoor rec community is really what to do with class one and class three. So what are you seeing for input from the community or other planners about this conundrum? Um, well, so we, we, we get a lot of input from the community and, and you know, as, as, as is often the case, the, uh, the input we get is from people who are, are upset about not being able to, to ride their e-bikes on our, our single track trail systems. Um, and so the, the bit of history is that our, our trail systems, the wonderful trail systems that we enjoy and uh, have in Moab were built with money that was specifically set aside for non-motorized trails and, and recreation. And, uh, and so that, that complica complicates it. And back to what you're saying, the, the, the whole motor thing is, you know, in the, there certainly is a motor in a pedal assist e-bike and, and uh, you know, the biggest argument I think against allowing those is, is that motor, but also uh, where the technology is heading and, and where these, the, you know, the power and the capability of these motors. Um, if we were ever going to allow them on our non-motorized trail systems, our single track trails, that would have to come with a significant uh, reinterpretation of what these non-motorized trails are here for and whether that that's a very much uh, hotly debated subject uh whether that could ever be reinterpreted with our trail system yeah so we we get many many letters uh complaining or concerned about not being able to ride on our trail systems and it does seem like the vast majority of those come from folks who have been mountain bikers for long periods of time and because of injury or age are no longer able to 
ride these trails and and e-bikes have provided them with a an, an opportunity to to go out and continue enjoying a sport that they've loved for so many years yeah this is something yeah. that i've heard consistently too from um people and friends of mine that they just want to be able to ride with their grandchildren or ride with their they might be injured and want to ride with their pals and not be able to be so spread out as a group and that is i think personally one of the most compelling arguments for permitting a class one e-bike onto a single track trail but here we have the conundrum of those trails a lot vast majority were created with funding and under the understanding as you said that they were non-motorized only and it's easy to think that it's not a motorized vehicle but look at an electric car yeah, it's sure. the same thing right and I, I mean i was having this discussion this morning with some folks on a bike ride and and uh you know there are there are so many comparables where we you know and, and so the, what it comes up as as you know when it's age related uh, as age discrimination to not that's you know that's we hear that constantly in our correspondences on the letters that we get a trail mix uh, but there's so many comparable situations where people you know are not able to do things because of their age where we don't allow for mechanical assistance or you know I for climbing for I mean I certainly can't climb anything that I used to be able to climb and I it, it doesn't give me the opportunity to go add bolts to something or to go you know or rowing the Grand Canyon in the non-motorized season because I'm 75 and can no longer physically row it that doesn't give me the right to go and and motor it you know it just there there's so many so I, I'm not sure that that's a great argument. Um, I have, in my own experience, seen people buy e-bikes just like you're saying to be able to ride with their families, and I've seen them in, you know, people who who otherwise couldn't because of age or health, um, and it's allowed them to be active with their families and outdoors, and and you know, and not driving UTVs or you know whatever else and it, it is it, it is a compelling argument um, I don't think it's a, a perfect a flawless argument um, by any means but it is something it's, it's something to think about for sure it's definitely good food for thought and food for conversation and I think one thing that is difficult possibly for a lot of um, e-bike users is that there's obviously no standardization region-wide or statewide or yeah. you know, so you go to places where they might have far more liberal access yes but then you might also find trails where for example pedestrian use is not permitted because people are riding down you know they have i've seen a lot more like one direction trails where they say no hiking on this time of the season or sure. whatever and that might also be something that uh, Moab needs to consider as these sports grow. Like, yeah. do we possibly permit some class one e-biking and do we possibly restrict some pedestrian access? And do we do we have like schedules that are like yeah. parking rules in a ski town? Yeah, yeah. Go that route of confusion. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the right solution. I'm just saying it's one of the things it's, to it's, consider. It's something to talk about. And I, uh, 
there there is some some interesting things happening i you know in in some neighboring communities in in durango right now they are doing an experimental opening uh to e-bikes in one of their non-motorized trail systems the twin buttes area and um so far they've you know they've they've had a lot of really lively discussion about it and uh Durango is also working really hard with other Colorado counties to be sure that they are all, are all relatively on the same page as they're opening things up or experimenting or talking about things, which I think is, is really important because uh, if we are inconsistent with neighboring communities, I think that creates a whole bit of confusion um, as people who are because those are the people who are coming and recreating here and I think when there is that confusion that that people tend to address that confusion with their own interpretation of, of the rules and, and that's why we see so many e-bikes on our non-motorized trail systems right now and so I and that's that's why this discussion is so important because uh, it, it it's in my mind it's it's or in my opinion, it's it's coming to a head, and it needs needs to be discussion. There needs to be this conversation. Yeah. And as we know, with um, most issues that might have um, people some polarization, yeah. it's always better to try to be proactive. Yes. And yes. in and inclusive yeah. than it is to make some panic provisions later on. Absolutely. So I do know there are some really interesting discussions happening right now. Um, I know that there is the discussion of, of possibly developing uh, some new trail systems that would be e-bike friendly. There is, of course, always you know a, a group of folks who are continuing to discuss the possibility of, of opening some of our existing trail systems uh, to e-bikes, and, and there's some neat ways of that that's being talked about. There, there's some discussion of possibly assigning different values to our trail systems in terms of front country back country and the, the experience that riders are having at these different trail systems um you know the access to these trail systems uh by way of uh e-bike friendly and, and legal routes uh because i think that really is to me the 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 incredible value of e-bikes is that allowing people to ride two trail systems and eliminating vehicles on the road and and uh, to me is is one of the most compelling arguments for e-bikes and so if there were trail systems that that could be within e-bike friendly corridors i you know that's you know a possible argument for e-bikes on on some of our non-motorized trails you know i personally I, I i don't know where i fit in that in terms of how i feel about e-bikes on our non-motorized trails i do see the value in it I do feel like Moab right now, uh, the places that, that we are able to t tell people or recommend legally that people ride e-bikes are not good options. You know, right now, currently, if when our bike shops that are renting bikes, where they're able to tell people to, set, to go on e-bikes, that they can legally go on e-bikes, they're looking at Slick Rock Trail, which... You know, for a, a good competent rider is is a good e-bike option, but for the vast majority of e-bikers, it's a really challenging place to, to take a heavy bike. And then the other option, legal option, that a lot of bike shops are telling people is, is the Sovereign Trail System. And again, the Sovereign Trail System has a ton of potential, uh, but over the years, it's it's become really, really a, a, a challenging trail system and, and really needs a lot of work 
if it could be a viable destination for e-bikes for sending people. Um, but I do think that trail that uh, Sovereign Trail and, and Slick Art Trail both have something that uh, I find very attractive for e-bikes is that they both can be accessed uh, soon with the Sovereign Trail system as soon as there's still some pieces that, that need to be worked out opening up the, the uh, paved path north of town still illegal for even class ones because there are a couple sections because it crosses like six different jurisdictions and there are a couple of jurisdictions that still haven't totally signed off on on it but in town now e-bikes are, are class one e-bikes are allowed on the the mill creek parkway here and so you could access slick rock trail um with with some paved path riding and then some riding up the the uh sand flats road and i think to me that's really attractive we can eliminate cars by, by allowing people to ride e-bikes to, to trail systems. Totally agree with that. I actually wanted to make like a tow trailer to put on my e-bike, to put my pedal bike That's on. That's awesome. I so I could that. go someplace like the Brands yes. yeah. and not have to ever take my car. Yeah. I want to go back to um, some trail ideas um, and bring in a bit of the conversation that Ashley and I had earlier on the show but i want to go back to what you said about the bike path because i was not aware that it crosses so many jurisdictions yes what are those six jurisdictions uh let me see if i can get this all straight so so when you're starting to ride north of town you're obviously you're in the city on the pathway on the paved path and then you get out into the county on the paved path and then you're in department of energy on the paved path and then you're in park service on the paved path and then you're in BLM, and then there's a little sliver of private land that you cross if you continue on the paid path past uh, the brand trails to 313. And so all those people need to sign off. The city has now signed off, the county has signed off. I believe the only people that they're waiting for is the Department of Energy and the Park Service. Oh, that's and they're so both fascinating. expected to sign off, and it's uh, hopefully sooner than later uh, because the not not having everybody on board right now is, has definitely created a great deal of confusion. But that also answers a lot of questions. Like, I personally was not aware that one of the reasons an e-bike is not permitted on the entirety of the bike path is because this yeah. process is underway. Yes. So everybody out there who um, rides an e-bike, we just got to be patient and yeah. uh, do whatever we can to get that started. <laughs> um, Part of my conversation with Ashley Kornblatt earlier in the show, we discussed re-envisioning some of the road and trail systems and actually like promoting them as, because I can think of a bunch of rides I've done that are actually far more pleasant on an e-bike, even though they're two tracks, yeah. which, you know, the single track thing always seems to be like this thing, like we, we want to be on single track, but when you're talking about riding with a family or riding with a group and yes. having a comprehensive experience, rides like uh, Dead Man's Point or Spring Canyon yes. Point, Spring seven Canyon mile. Bottom, yes. Seven Mile, yeah. there's numerous trails that exist out there, or two tracks, yeah. that we just haven't actively promoted yes. as an e-bike experience. And is there anything in the pipes that you know of to... Well, along those lines there so so we have we have published an, an e-bike pamphlet an informational pamphlet that does have i think it has three different routes on it that are double track and 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 you know what that that might actually be and i didn't uh 
refer to that when when I was talking about some of the ideas that were being uh, passed around. But that is a really great idea, and that because there are some absolutely wonderful rides out there that you could never touch single track, and they're such great even non-motorized winter rides. They're yeah. wonderful. Um, and and so in this this pamphlet that there there are three great routes that are uh, mapped out in this pamphlet that that's at all the bike shops and at all the e-bike rental shops. Um, one of them being Seven Mile, one like I think being over in the Monitor Merrimack area. Uh, just just great rides, and and that could be a really really great uh, way to address the the influx of, of e-bikes into our community is is to really put some work into some routes that don't ever touch our non-motorized trail systems, um, and that's why this conversation is so important. And and I think the um, the the thing that I have not seen so far is anybody coming out and really being a champion for for e-bikes and for um, in the discussion um, and and new routes and new trails because I the BLM has already identified a couple of spots that even if we wanted to develop new uh, trail systems with single track or with everything uh, but there hasn't been any real strong voice in our community for e-bikes when I know some other communities like Durango uh, their opening their experimental uh, opening of the Twin Butte system was driven by you know, a very vocal group of e-bike enthusiasts who, who wanted access and, and, and got that by, you know, working with the system and being part of the conversation. The uh, trail mix committee and the non-motorized, or, and then the motorized trail committee have created a subcommittee, an e-bike subcommittee, and we're about to have our second meeting this week, this Monday, uh, coming up. You know, they, there's, several of us who are involved in that but we don't have anybody who's really coming forward from the e-bike community and saying hey let's get stuff done let's you know let's have this conversation and then let's let's talk to the land agencies uh, let's identify some of these wonderful routes and and let's let's develop them and let's let's actually let's have things that you know if we're going to say an absolute no to, to e-bikes on our single track trails Let's provide a, a equal opportunity. Let's provide somewhere else that is um, can be accessed, you know, by e-bike from town. E-bikes definitely have something that that you know, with range and that that little bit of extra power that they can go places that that mountain bikes can't easily go. And, and you know, so there's a whole opportunity there. That, yeah. Sounds like we need a mountain bike czar. We do. I mean, an e-bike. We do. An e-bike czar. Lisa, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Uh, all your free time. Well, yeah, all my free time. So possibly trail mix will be putting it out, or the motorized and non-motorized yeah. trail committees that we might be looking for somebody. So if you're yeah. out there listening and you're passionate about e-biking, um, keep your ear to the pavement yeah. for opportunities to participate in this process and and i would definitely i would offer myself up as somebody to contact if if you're out there and you're listening and you're you know you're passionate about e-bikes and and seeing this this conversation progress uh you could absolutely get get a hold of me and i i could you know put you in contact with the the right committees and the right contacts and and to to be a part of it that'd be fantastic 
what resources are out there for folks to, um, when they get to a trailhead, how do they know whether or not it permits an e-bike or not? So, so all the, the trailheads and, uh, and especially all the non-motorized trail systems are very well signed, uh, that, that e-bikes are, are not allowed on those trail systems. Um, though people seem to manage to, to miss that signage quite often. Um, and then the big piece is, is an educational piece. You know, a lot of the e-bikes that are out in our area are rented at local shops. And so we've been working really hard to, uh, to be sure the latest, the most up-to-date information is at the shops so that they're passing that along. And, and the best piece of information that we have right now is in an e-bike flyer that, that's available at all the shops and all the e-bike rental places. Uh, but the trails are, the non-motorized trails are marked as non-motorized and that e-bikes uh, do not qualify as non-motorized and are not legal on those trails. Well, and I guess I would just encourage um, any e-bike riders who are out there to actually explore your maps and don't be afraid to look at um, OHV maps or just general maps of the area and look for destinations that you might want to go to that are inaccessible because you don't have a four-wheel drive, you don't want to hike 20 miles, and you can't ride your pedal bike there. So if you're out there and you're listening, until we get more resources out there that will help direct you to these areas, um, get creative. Yes. Open up your Gaia or open up your Trails Illustrated and find those routes you might not otherwise absolutely want yeah. to undertake that is that it is the perfect tool for that for for exploring an e-bike is and and with the miles and miles of, of amazing roads that we have out in our back country the e-bike is that's that's perfect for that and i you know it's that it is absolutely active transportation um i don't believe that they're non-motorized transportation uh and i really think that we would have to uh redefine non-motorized in our area if we were ever going to allow them on our our trail systems but it is absolutely it's 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 active transportation i've seen people really really grow and develop their fitness and and riding ability by riding e-bikes and and i the potential for exploration out here is just it's it's unlimited yeah yeah it's just it's another another way to get out there and totally enjoy this beautiful landscape that we are privileged to live in yes yeah yeah. well colin thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this topic as we said at the outset we're not here to necessarily uh come up with all the answers but we want to encourage conversation about this topic and um, we will post on the website resources for folks to be able to find the currently existing maps. Thanks again so much, Colin, and have a great day and get out there and pedal and have some fun. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Yeah.